what makes a good goal for a team? And what kind of perspectives on a team do you need to bring in order in order to to collaborate? Like the Scrum Guide tells us that we need to self-organize. Scrum Guide does not say how. Like it doesn't give us patterns or principles for doing that self-organization. Welcome to Team Up with Beata. I'm Beata Padua, and I'm very excited that you are here. This is a podcast about the teams of the future and the right ingredients for that pivot. This podcast will make you believe in teamwork again. Woohoo! In a cold February day, one of us in Sweden, another one in Switzerland. I know what you're thinking. It's the same country, but it's not. <laughs> Both of us meant to talk teamwork, our favorite topics. Who am I talking about? Catherine Kristen who I have met during a very fun conference where we also talked a lot about game-based learning and things like that. I hope we can have a separate podcast about that in the future. But today I brought Catherine to talk all about team collaboration. And we've been so excited about this topic and I've been learning so much during our conversation and I hope you will too, that I decided to break this into two episodes. In the first episode, we will talk about team collaboration. And in the second episode, we will focus more on how to be an effective team member. But who is Catherine? Catherine empowers teams to connect with their purpose, take ownership and collaborate effectively to connect with their customers and deliver. She's an agile coach and transformation coach. She's also a sociocracy 3.0 practitioner. So you will learn a little bit about S3. But if you want to learn more about S3, Catherine also has a podcast about that called Agile with S3. But before you dive into Agile with S3, uh, let's dive into this episode. Catherine, welcome. Welcome to Team Up with Beata. How are you today? I am doing really well. I'm uh, I'm 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 enjoying the end of the of the Swiss winter here. Swiss winter. What does Swiss winter look like? End well, of. It, <laughs> what it looks like is um, really beautiful snow on the mountains, um, and uh, not so. There's not so much snow here in Milan where I'm living, but mm. um, it's a really really gorgeous sight when you go like when you go out on walks and you can see just see the peaks in the distance and it's. It's really, it's, it's, it's quite breathtaking. And if you're into snowboarding or uh, skiing, skiing, yeah, then you, it's, uh, it's about taking the weekend to go and just, you know, let it all out, go all out, go all out running, going down that hill as fast as you can. <laughs> <laughs> Have you been doing that? Yeah. This winter, uh, this, you know, this, this winter I've, I, mm. I've, I had wanted to, but I injured my tailbone. Ow. Uh, at the end of December, and and I, I I like to snowboard, but when you when you've got a when you got a you bruised tailbone, nope. no, it's nope. not, not not happening. Smart. No, no, no. <laughs> I once uh, skied in Switzerland by accident by getting by lost accident. in a nearby France. Uh, <laughs> I was like, oh, I'm in Switzerland now. How did that happen? <laughs> no, but it, it was more beautiful. That part it was much more beautiful. <laughs> great, great. Today we are here together because. Super excited to learn more from you and for our audience to learn more from you about how we can collaborate effectively, how we can collaborate better and sort of explore that path. Maybe not just on the team, but 
as human beings, as groups, as organizations, looking from your experience and perspective. What is your path? What got you to where you are and why? Why are you interested in how people collaborate, how groups collaborate? And yeah, let's start with that. Well, I have a I have a cross-cultural background. I'm an American who's been living in Switzerland for about 10 years now. And career-wise, I started off in filmmaking. So I was like a director of photography, doing grip and electric work, so lighting and camera. And when I, while, while I was engaged in that, I got to work with a lot of different teams. First, as like as a, as a tech, so working working in larger in larger productions as part of a, like a grip electric team, and then also as director of photography, being the head of the department with like two or three departments, you know, under me. I'm saying that in air quotes. Well. <laughs> Which in this case, it actually literally is under mm. this, like in terms of uh, making decisions and passing them down, there's a, there's a very hierarchical way of working. And as, as a director of photography, I was expected to be able to tell these departments, you know, like, okay, I want this flag right here. I want this other, you know, I, I, I want a, a 2K lamp over here. And so I was expected to be able to, to have to have the insight and the strategy and pass that down. But a lot of the team members who I was working with were much more experienced than me. I mean, at the time I was, uh, you know, I was like 20 years old being a director of photography and I had grips to who were, had been gripping for 25 years oh, wow. and they knew the equipment <laughs> way, even much way, for way longer than I had even been alive. And, you know, have for me to tell them where to put their light and which lamp to use was absurd. Right. You know, and like, and what I w- was wondering is, you know, is there a way where I can invite them to, sh- you know, show me some options based on what effect I want to create? Right. Because as director of photography, you're, um, you're like the C- you're like the CTO of a, um, of a, of a, of a, of the film production. So you're the one that has like the technical implementation or technical know-how to realize the vision of the director. So like, okay. I'm accountable for that. So, okay, I would love to get the collective intelligence of these awesome, awesome t- team members and pull that up. And that's where I discovered, I discovered Agile and the idea of self-managed teams. And I was, I was really fascinated by this idea that you can, you can actually have the teams make the decisions themselves about how the work is done. And all you have to do is give them clear instructions for the end result that you want. Um, and so this idea that, you know, I would, I would have these very experienced technicians and I would just need to tell them, okay, like, you know, here's like, here's a storyboard. This is how mm. I want the shot to look, do it, you know, or like, and like, what do you, what else do you need from me in order for you to be able to do it and, and really have it as a, as a, as a dialogue, as a collaboration. And so I discovered uh, and this, and then shortly, yeah, then I moved to the Switzerland and, you know, also it's a story there, but <laughs> yeah. the short, the short version of that story <laughs> is that I, and that I discovered Sociocracy 3.0. Okay. And there's a small group of devoted S3 practitioners in the, here in Switzerland. They're like agile coaches, systemic coaches. Um, and I got invited to one of their meetups. So like, like, you know, just, just to come and check it out and see what they're doing. And <laughs> I, and I, I arrived and I was looking at, um, you know, this, col- this, this collection of principles and patterns to enable collaboration. I'm looking at that thinking, wait a minute, wait, does this actually work? Can you actually pull in like, 
you know, like you know, patterns for like defining the problem together, mm-hmm. for pulling, for making a proposal together, and for for bringing for bringing that proposal into a group and going through steps to be able to make collective decisions about it. Okay, you can do that. Oh, and you got principles like uh, the principles of consent. You know, mm-hmm. having a group that operates on a basis of consent, as opposed to on a on a basis of you know uh, compliance. Mm. So, yeah, and and yeah. I and, and and that was so that's how it, that's how I got involved with you know work working with teams from filmmaking yeah. through sociocracy. <laughs> for, if, for filmmaking, if, if if someone has never heard of sociocracy and you were to pitch it to them and like in one sentence of you, like what what would you say? How would you? Describe it. Hmm. Well, so sociocracy is about the governing power of the group based on reason. So sociocracy, for the, the word itself, it's it's from Greek, so socio, which is group, and kratos, which is power. So literally, power of the group. So sociocracy is a method of government, and it's like a like an evolution of democracy. So whereas democracy is about the will of the majority, where the majority vote is the one that's taken, in sociocracy, it is the the solution that the group finds most reasonable that is adopted, regardless of the number of people who agree with it or not. And what sociac what, what S3 is, which is um is a is a collection of patterns and principles that have emerged over time for effective collaboration groups. The founders of S3 got together and said, well, hey, you know, in Agile, in Lean, and in sociocracy, there are these really brilliant ways of of collab of collaborating and you know, harvesting the collective intelligence to build better teams and better organizations. Let's put them all together in a menu of options and call them patterns and offer them and teach them to people and businesses so that you can work work better better together collaboratively. So like in one sentence, yeah. Socia- sociocracy 3.0 is a social technology for evolving organizations through effective collaboration. Wow. I have even uh, been on sociocracy trainings and I and I think my understanding of it has just evolved <laughs> because you know you go to sociocracy training and oftentimes it's a group of strangers that you join so you're mm-hmm. of course having a uh, like a safe place to uh, play around like a sandbox but when you actually when I hear it from you it opens ideas in my head I never thought I had around sociocracy because I, I have too been using elements of sociocracy sometimes mm-hmm. I didn't even realize that I have been using it and I'm very keen to learn from you today more about, you know, what patterns we in teams, in organizations can use, regardless whether we work in sociocracy or not. And you're, you're not alone in doing, uh, like in, like you're doing some sociocratic things you're doing, maybe using some patterns and not realizing it. That's a, that's a kind of common thing. Really? Yes. Is it some kind of subconscious um, facilitator superpower or where does it come from? Do we have the need for it or? One of the big key concepts in S3 is defining the problem to get, mm-hmm. and then finding a solution separate from the problem. So it's about defining the problem, making that clear, and then defining the solution and getting a consent-based agreement on that. So mm-hmm. like, so there are, there are many approaches to just communication, Yeah. right? That, you know, having a clear problem statement 
is key to good communication, effective collaboration, and being able to make the solution clear and being able to have the people who are going to actually do the thing agree that they understand it and that it's relevant. That's uh, that's what you do in any sort of decision-making process. What makes S3 special is that it, it gives you uh, steps to do to, to, to do this, and it, and it gives you roles too, mm-hmm. um, facilitator role and then the participant decision-maker role. Um, but we can get into that more later if you want. Okay, yeah, sure. But so there is a proposal, the sh- decision-making and agreement, and like you said before that, I think before that, we all have to come to some sort of agreement on what is our goal, right? So before yes. we even start working together. So what makes a good goal on the team? And also how do we how do we decide on that goal together? There's an agile proverb. <laughs> There's an agile proverb. That that goes, a team is a team by grace of a common goal. Right. So it's having that clear and you know ideally good goal in the first place that makes that team possible it gives them something to swarm around it gives them a purpose for existing it gives them something to say um you know yes we should accept thing a into our backlog or into our sprint or no we should not a big challenge in in, in today's operating environment especially is finding a good goal and collaborating to achieve it it's hard because with the with with the pace of delivery that's expected nowadays to meet customer expectations and with the way that and how fast markets are changing and how much like microservices are actually are in demand right when you're when you're a self-managed team right you know you have the challenge of being accountable for responding to that change without the boss telling you what to do right mm. it's a big question of what makes a good goal in the first place and even what like what really what should be included in the goal because uh, the, the average team backlog it might include like let's take the case of a of a, of a scrum team right mm-hmm. in like an it company okay so you've got user stories and you've and of those stories you've got those that are clear to the team but maybe they don't know how to handle uh-huh. or they're clear they're maybe clear to the team but then but there needs to be collaboration done on it. And they're not quite sure how to do it because coordination with other teams or with others in the organization has cultural boundaries. It has, you know, emotional legacy, right? Conflict between people. There's, and, and on top of that, you have stories that, you know, are new stories and that are, then that you know, if we have pressure from from management, perhaps to fit them into your sprint, even mm. though you need to be working on, um, you know, on more on, on 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 internal tickets. Otherwise, your infrastructure is going to collapse. Or you need to be doing tasks, chores. You've got bugs. You've got tech debt. So there's already there's such complexity in our backlogs. <laughs> yeah. And es- yeah, and, and especially if if you're in a team over if you're in team over time. Mm. Um, so our backlogs are by nature complex. And then add to that that you know each each work item that you have is. It, could be separate from the problem that you're actually trying to solve by doing those work items, right? So, and and each of the each of those problems also needs to be understood by the team, right? As part of their common purpose, as part of their common goal. Um, and in order to get the work done, then each of those tasks needs to have the TLC and the attention. And there's going to be unforeseen steps as people collaborate and coordinate to get it done. So, you know, what makes a good goal? I think it helps to look at 
thinking in a principle-based way instead of thinking in an activity-based way. Sometimes we tend to think of goals as um, like, okay, like um, achieve these, you know, like, so achieve these 20 tickets by the end of the sprint. Okay. Yeah. Those are, that points to like work items that we want to get done. Mm. But the actual point is that now, like we want to move, like we want to move physically closer to satisfying this, this particular need for customer X. Right. And um, like I talk about the difference between like activity-based or principle-based principle here is that it's an active principle of work toward this, make work toward satisfying this customer, work toward this desired future state. Navig navigating complexity is the nature of a team's work. And so, but, and so, yeah, so, so far as what makes a good goal, it's a desired future state to reach for within that. And, and so far as how you can decide on that goal together, that's, that's the situation where the dreaded consultant answer <laughs> applies. <laughs> it depends. It does. It does. It depends, but, but because of the, because of the unique landscape of the team and its environment, its operating environment, the market, et cetera. But in sociocracy, at least you can decide based on a known procedure for clarifying the problem, co-creating proposals together, making collective decisions that um, are based on are based on consent and everybody, you know, basically agreeing agreeing to do then what is what is proposed to do mm -hmm. and then monitoring the doing of it. So mm, okay. Monitoring yeah. the doing. How do you monitor the doing? I mean the practice of hold of holding each other accountable. Okay. by looking at outcomes like and i mean i mean you as a team member mm -hmm. not not just you know the scrum master or the facilitator who's the one who's tasked with uh, with uh, with uh, looking after those things i mean you actually as an as an engaged team member looking at the work that you're doing looking at the work that your team members are doing and being like hey okay hold on how does this relate to our goal here Right. Or you're like, wait a minute, you promised to do this ticket yesterday, but then you, you ended up working at this one. Okay. What's going yeah. on? Yeah. Right. Right. When the team members are held accountable, that is a result of this practice of checking in with them to see, yeah, okay, what, where are you in relation to what you've agreed to do? Mm. And, you know, are you heading towards that agreement or are you not? And if you are not, well, okay, then w what valuable information is there in that? I mean, I think about where you have a cultural boundary between mm -hmm. one team and another. So mm -hmm. let's say um, one, you have, a, you have a product line, one team works in design, the other works in implementation. And you, and you have uh, the implementation team wants to let the design team know that some requirements that they were given in, in this last feature are absolutely bogus and undoable, right? Yeah. And, and so, but in, but in order to talk to them, you know, maybe, maybe, the, maybe the other team will not listen at all. And they're so, and they're just so used to walling off the other team that, you know, okay. So even though you promise to, to collaborate with them, even though you promise to communicate with them, it's probably not going to happen. Mm. Right. Once we yeah. have the goal, then we want the team to start collaborating together over that goal. Ideally yes. across based upon some tasks that they have developed together or business developed for them if they were unlucky. But these teams are made of various individuals. Sometimes we are 
co-located, sometimes we are distributed, and sometimes yes. we are, in addition to that, and I would say more and more in these days, we are working across different cultures. So we might yes. be working from different parts of the world, but also even in one country, there could be people from different backgrounds, maybe first generation, second generation, and they have different culture, even just thinking at home. Right, right. Yeah. How do we then go from the goal through decision making, given that sort of variable? When dealing with different cultures, different backgrounds, especially really, really strong, distinctive cultures that people have you know, been... Um, been building and contributing to for a very long time. I find that the, one of the most important things is to let that culture be that culture and it's okay. Mm. And um, the goal, the common goal that we're working toward is a thing that is separate from anyone's culture. It's, it's, a, it's a desired future state that you're striving for. And the question to the individual or you know the group is to, you know, okay, how is this, is this goal defined in a clear way? Does it make sense to you? Or is there something missing about it that we need to somehow tweak so that it does, it does make sense to you? It's the idea of like putting it, of creating the goal above all of the cultures that, um, that, that, may, that may be at play here. I, I, like the, I like the visual of an umbrella for mm -hmm. it. So you have an umbrella of, you know, that the, the clearly defined goal and the requirements also for maybe stepping towards that goal that are, and that vocabulary and that understanding really just has to do with the goal. Um, and, you know, underneath that umbrella, you have the different cultures. So like, you know, you, you might have, you might have a team in Switzerland, you might have a team in the U S you might have one in Singapore. It's about really focusing on the common language of the goal and also possibly the common culture resulting from the goal. And I, I see this I see this in companies that have um, different departments within their organization that you know have 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 grown very very dis very distinct cult uh, cultural identities um, like you have uh, you have sales and marketing which is very like very sales driven of course very financially mm -hmm. motivated and their goals their targets that they have are like the classic classically defined financial milestones that they are trying to hit. And that is mm. what they're concerned about. Mm. And, then, and then you have the engineering department that, that wants to, that wants to innovate. They want to come up with new, they want to build new products. They want to, they want to create new prototypes, right? And they're, they're driven by this idea of innovation, meeting new markets, connecting with the customer. That's their thing. And so, you know, how are you, how can you enable a collaboration between groups that have such different values themselves right how the way the way that i think about it is have the goal be your common common language and evolve that evolve that common language with those groups contributing whatever it is that they have to bring but you very also very explicitly don't try to change the culture of those groups so like if you have if you have a team that is completely convinced that top-down management is the way that they that they want to run their team okay like respected they like respected supported okay as long you know hey the point is the goal as long as as long as it brings the results and as long as we can you can collaborate with the with the other teams right as long as long as that effective collaboration works great mm. to get from goals to decision and furthermore, to get from decision to actually supporting action with collaboration, 
that's where it's this practice of bringing what you have from your culture, from your understanding together with the other mm. and then finding some, some sort of solution or agreement to move forward that works. And um, yeah, and I'm, and as, as I'm talking about this, it seems you know, I'm not being very distinct about what the outcome is going to be of the collaboration because yeah. we're dealing with humans. <laughs> so we're, it always depends. <laughs> it always, it, it always depends. But the important thing is that you have the practice mm. on both sides of everyone bringing, bringing their best with a common language of the goal and working towards and, 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 um, and, and, and also inspecting progress toward it. Mm. So where this, where the where the rubber hits the road is actually after the decision's been made and then the groups need to needs to collaborate they need you need to bring wisdom from one culture a together with culture b and that's where you've got shall we say you have different rhythms <laughs> you've, you 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 have different cultures you have different rhythms you have different you have different values at play and so you know how do you how do you overcome that how how do you bridge that? It's very um, very much spot on what you're saying. And oftentimes we we work like you said with one team in Singapore, another one in the US. But there could be also the element of where, let's say, recently I've been working with a team that some were in Poland and some were in Sweden and some were in India to add to a mix mm -hmm. and you could see the hierarchy, the cultural, um, vibes, <laughs> everything is different. And, and try like the Swedes would be surprised why the Polish work so long hours. Uh, for example, that would be very common and why when they're sick, they're not really taking time off. And, you know, there is a lot of that, but for some, for the good of the group, I encourage them to sort of not think of that. And I didn't realize I was doing what you just said, because it's it's not to change. You can't change the folks in Poland. It's impossible. This right. Their environment is supporting that model. And you can't change the folks in Sweden and say, you know, you have to work when you're sick or you have to work when your kid is sick or whatever. Right. right because right. that's the model they're operating in. That's the environment they're operating in, right? This are, right. These are... These are neighboring countries, yet they have such a different values and different cultures. Um, yes. Yeah, fascinating, actually. Because if you start changing things, if you start pushing people, they will not feel comfortable. They will not feel themselves. They will not be able to bring them whole self, whole self to work, as we say, right? Right, right. And and um, uh, you know, and what kind of a what kind of a benefit would it be for? your client or for the team, for the organization, if you just build more resistance. Mm. It's not it isn't necessarily going to help the connect build the connection that you want. Mm. You talk about having these having these two neighboring countries and they are so different yet yet you're working toward a common goal, you're working toward a common thing. In the case of this of of, of collaboration across cultures working out, it really is that yeah, the local culture is left to exist. And also, because it isn't, it isn't just that visible culture that you are that you're supporting. It isn't just the affirmation of those individuals and their ways of working, and you're, that you're supporting. It's also everything that lies under everything under that. So the social system that they're in, their the current economic situation, demographics, those larger complexity drivers that are at play in that culture, 
you're also basically saying, okay, that's fine. We're not going to touch that. All we're, all we're trying to do is to, is to focus on this little, little part to do it together. Just this one goal that we're trying to work toward. Yeah. And, and in the process of doing that, you know, you can, you can bridge, um, bridges tend to naturally be built because both are reaching toward the goal at uh, this this reminds me of a, of a, of an interaction that I had uh, mm-hmm. at a meetup with um, a developer who was from um, a, a developer who was from Afghanistan. And so, you know, he was, you know, he was a soft, software developer, had a master's, had moved to Switzerland and was, you know, working here for X number of years. Right. Mm-hmm. And when, and when he met me um, and found out I was American, there is a little, seemed to be a little bit of fear from his side. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, and I, and, and uh, me as an American, I, I wasn't used to talking to people from Afghanistan. What I know about Afghanistan is from the media over yeah. in the US and mm-hmm. that is a, as a war zone and as a place where we are trying to bring in the right way of thinking and blah, 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 et cetera. Uh, yeah. But, okay. Yeah. We're mm-hmm. bringing, we're bringing peace to the Middle East. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, <laughs> Yeah, that, that that's a goal, but I don't know. If there's a shared understanding of, of what that means. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, yeah. So so I'm, as I'm, I'm talking to this guy, and and you know, and he has this look of fear in his eyes, and he, does, he tells me, "Oh, he's a software developer from McKinsey," and or, and I and I say, "Oh," and I was like, "Oh, wow." Now, um, like, wow, like, how did you end up in Switzerland? Like, what is what is the biggest challenge to you being here? And you know, and and I and I asked him about that. I asked him what he was, you know, what he was what he was working on. I asked him about his tech stack. And I saw him go from being like, you know, having a fear response mm. to being really, really eager to talk to me. And after talking about some work stuff and, you know, I asked him where he liked to vacation and I was like, oh, I like going to Lugano and all that. And he had mentioned like, it's like, wow, I'm so glad that we had this conversation. Like, you just talked to me. Like, I'm like, I mean, you know, like, like, like as an American, like you, you just, you didn't do that usual American thing where you freak out and, oh my God, you're from Afghanistan. Like, no. I just accepted and 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 ask you about how you are as a person, what's important to you, um, what you're working on now, and it's the same kind of approach. This is the same kind of approach that I use when working with teams that have significant significant culture boundaries. Mm-hmm. So, you know, when working with a like a, a the traditional top down manager that really wants to command and control, I was like, okay, yep, and I and you know, and looking at your situation, I might do the same thing too. But okay, how can we? How can we take what you know really well, mm. what what and what what you value? How can how can we take that and how how can we help engineering, to to meet the goals to fulfill the promises that they have promised to you, mm. right? And so and it's about meeting in a way meeting people as people, on with equivalence, mm. an eye level, um, but also, like really explicitly allowing what is already what already exists culturally to be just let let it be and when it when it change if it's if it's going to change yeah. that change emerges from that collaboration toward toward that goal interesting you know this ex- this exercise that we all have done facilitating different collaborations where you ask people to find five to ten things that the group has in common, right? And then people mm-hmm. start bringing that up, like by we all have computers to we all live in the same country or not or whatever. I feel like bringing everyone back to that 
five or ten things that they have in common as a group, no matter the culture or backgrounds. It really grounds us and really puts us in the position where we all think, ah, wait, wait a minute. Doesn't matter if I'm from Afghanistan or the States. It we are here. We both are in Switzerland, right? That's what we have in yeah. common. And I think yeah. that's one of the coolest exercise I've seen people starting to open up, not only culturally, but also when you mentioned yeah. about different hierarchies. So if I am a top-down manager versus I am I'm an agile coach and many, you're an agile coach, I'm an agile coach, and many agile coaches perhaps do think this way, but there is also this res resistance in, or the urge to want to change that thinking. <clears throat> I, I don't know if you've seen that, but I have seen that many times when, okay, I am the agile coach and therefore I am here almost to do change management. We are going to change and we are going to change not from just micro mm -hmm. management mm -hmm. perspective, from top down management, from like cultural. We all want to be, we all want to create a culture where we all belong. And mm -hmm. for many, the solution seems to be to make everybody the same, right? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know yes, what I'm talking that, about? Yeah. Yes, I know what you're talking about. Yeah, that that's a. I think that's a very human impulse, mm -hmm. is to, to is to to come in, know that you have a role as an agile coach, or that and that you can enable change. You have the tools, you have the skills, you have the personality, you have the experience, mm -hmm. and you can make it happen. And you can help each of these teams to become like, very you know, like I don't know, uh, like a, a repl yeah. replicas, high performing mm -hmm. replicas of each other. Well, you can do that, but there's a cost to it. And it's usually the engagement of the team. It's usually the trust of the team and the value of having, of having an approach where you find what's in common. Like you were talking about with the, you know, the, the, the five, 10 things you have in common, focusing on that. And then team is a team by grace of a common goal. Okay. Focus on defining that goal, put your energy there, put your attention there. Yeah. Okay. The fact that, you know, one person's from Bangladesh and the other one is from a, a aristocratic family in the US, that's not the point. The point is converging on, on this common goal here. Mm. And mm. we talk about um, you know, working with different with different with different hierarchies. I found that the best kind of the best kind of collaboration between different hierarchies results when you allow those different cultures to explain what works in their culture. So like, you know, so like, like, okay, like if you, in the hierarchical team, you know, you have a request that needs to come to, uh, you know, like a, a, on issue X, then you're, you're gonna talk to the developer who is in this component team that is accountable for exactly that thing, right? And if you're, you know, if, and if that hierarchical team is gonna, is gonna talk to the, um, the cross, this cross-functional self-managed team where we've, where, where, you know, basically everyone can do each, other, uh, each other's job, you bring it to the PO and, and the PO is going to, is going to pick it to the team and the team is going to then, you know, decide amongst themselves who's, who's going to take it on. And, but, and it's this dialogue and not just once, not just in one activity or like not just a one sprint, not just a one PI planning, for example, it's about having this dialogue over time and be, being able to see how each other's, each other's hierarchy works, contributing to it effectively, actively. Mm -hmm. That that sets that lays the foundation for any kind of change that would be meaningful to those teams. And here I think is where, you know, when you when you as an agile coach come in, the question is not what should I change in this team? What should I change between these teams? It's 
okay, what's actually going on in these teams right now? How do they communicate now? How are their operations now? How do they, how do they monitor themselves? Look, have an understanding of where we are before we try to change anything. Because anything that you change needs to work with the current system that's already there. We end part one of talking with Catherine Kristen and already next week, we'll bring you a second part where you will hear all about how to be an engaged team member and so much more, obviously. You will also hear more about S3, that's Sociocracy 3.0. And uh, yeah, can't wait to share the second part of this episode with you. For now, if you haven't already done so, it would mean the world to me if you could five star rate this episode in any platform that you're listening, any platform that you're hearing it. And if you've already done that, we've already have some uh, wonderful reviews. Thank you so much. This will propel me to create more episodes in the future. Thank you a million times.